Welcome back to Tony Katz today. My name is Cam Edwards sitting in for the one and only Tony Katz and uh, very glad to be doing so. Thank you, Tony, for the invite. So the push for gun control is uh, still underway, both at the national and the state level uh, in Washington, D.C. The two gun control bills that have passed the House of Representatives, uh, one a quote unquote universal background check bill uh, and the other that would extend the time that the FBI has to conduct background checks from three business days to basically indefinitely. Uh, appear to be stalled in the Senate right now. Senator Joe Manchin says he's not in support of either of these bills in their current form. Gun control advocates are now pressing Joe Biden to take executive action. Uh, At the state level, however, uh, it's a different story. Uh, Pro-Second Amendment states, states with Republican-dominated legislatures, they are passing things like constitutional carry bills that say, uh, listen, if you're a legal gun owner, you can legally carry a firearm. No permit required. We've had uh, two states so far this year. Montana and Utah uh, passed constitutional carry. There's a constitutional carry bill on the desk of Tennessee's governor. And there's even a constitutional carry bill that is stuck in the Indiana legislature at the moment. But gun control uh, activists are having some success as well in uh, those states where Democrats are in control of the state legislature. In Delaware, the uh, uh, Democrats are fast-tracking a pair of gun control bills. They were introduced in the state Senate on Monday. They passed out of the state Senate on Thursday. One bill would establish what's called a permit-to-purchase requirement. So if you want to buy a handgun, you have to go and apply for permission from your local police department in order to do so. You would be required to take a firearm safety course before you apply for your permit to purchase and your local police department could decide nah we don't really think you're suitable to own a handgun even though you might not be a felon you might not be a permitted person they could just deny you for any reason or no reason whatsoever Uh, the other bill that just passed out of the delaware state senate is a magazine ban so not only would this bill ban the future sale of ammunition magazines that can hold more than 17 rounds, existing gun owners who possess these magazines would be required to turn them in. Yes, there is a compensated confiscation scheme as part of this bill. And by by June 30th of 2022, every gun owner in Delaware would be required to hand over their banned magazines in exchange for some sort of cash stipend. And if they don't, and they're caught with one of these, you know, say a 20 round magazine, they could face a misdemeanor offense the first time. The second time around, it would be a felony offense. So while Democrats are talking about the need to reimagine policing and we've got to defund the police, they are at the same time putting new laws on the books, creating brand new crimes, nonviolent possessory offenses that could put people in prison for what is in my mind, simply exercising their right to keep and bear arms. And of course, the justification for all of these new gun laws is public safety, right? We have to do something to protect the public. Well, what if the something that is most effective at protecting the public doesn't actually involve any new gun control laws at all? What if the something that we can do is actually something we can all do and simply be aware of those potential threats and then speak up and speak out when we see those threats. This was the topic, again, of a new Secret Service report issued this week. Ryan Petty, 
joins me on the program right now, a man who has been working with the Secret Service over the past couple of years on efforts like this. Ryan, thank you so much for joining Tony Katz today. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, if, if you can, tell us a little bit about your work, uh, both with the Secret Service and law enforcement in Florida, uh, and, and, you know, why it is that you have decided to take such an active role in investigating and, and promoting uh, these techniques and these tactics that, that don't involve putting new gun control laws on the books uh, in order to prevent these types of active assailant attacks. Well, it all started about three years ago, uh, Cam, with the loss of my daughter, Elena. And uh, in the Parkland High School shooting, um, Elena was uh, a freshman. She was sitting in her English class, and uh, a killer decided to walk in and, and attack the school and randomly um, attempt to kill as many people as possible, my daughter being one of those victims, uh, one of the 17 that were killed, 17 others injured, um, you know, in a school and community left uh, in a bit of a shambles after that. Uh, I certainly was, as a father, uh, grieving. Couldn't believe what had happened. Didn't understand why it, why it had happened. Couldn't make sense of, of any of it. When I could finally lift my head up, take a look around, I saw the media descending on my community, my previously fairly quiet and what we thought was a safe community. And the narrative started, the same narrative I'd seen time and time again after these school attacks, the narrative that if we just had gun control, and you can substitute your favorite form of gun control, that these attacks would stop, that my daughter would, would not have been a victim if we had had more gun control. And uh, that made me angry, Cam, to be honest with you. That, uh, that was frustrating because I've seen us as a country go down this path time and time again. We waste all of our time and energy arguing about gun control measures that, in my opinion, will do nothing to prevent these kinds of tragedies. And we'll get, I'm sure we'll get uh, more into that. Absolutely. And I didn't want my daughter's death to be in vain. I had to do something. I had to stand up and say, this is not going to be the solution. Let's not waste our time arguing about gun control. Uh, in my view, meaningless gun control measures that would do nothing to prevent these tragedies. And I decided to go search for my own answers. And I stumbled across an article that talked about the work the Secret Service does. And it's work they, they use to protect the president and it's work that they've put forward to the country as a way to prevent school and public space attacks. And it's, uh, um, you know, we'll get into what, uh, what it means. Yeah, but we are going to get into that, Ryan. These. There is a way. Listen, Ryan, hang on the line. We've got to take a quick time out, but when we come back, we're going to get into this report and what we can do. We're talking with Ryan Petty here on Tony Katz today. Stick around. We have much more coming up right after this. 
It's Tony Katz today, 833-GOT-TONY, the number to call. My name is Cam Edwards, sitting in for Tony Katz. We're talking with Ryan Petty, whose daughter Elena was murdered at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in 2018. Ryan has been uh, uh, intimately involved in preventing these types of attacks. And we're talking about a new Secret Service report on preventing targeted school violence that just came out. And the key in this report, according to the Secret Service, is behavioral threat assessment. Uh, Ryan, you said right before the break that this is something that the Secret Service already uses to protect the president uh, and other you know high-profile targets. But this is a practice that can be put in place uh, in school districts all around the country, Right. That's exactly right. And, you know, quoting the director uh, of the Secret Service, James Murray, he said uh, at the beginning of this report, individuals contemplating violence often exhibit observable behaviors. And when community members report these behaviors, the next tragedy can be averted. Um, Those are powerful words. And in fact, when you talk with the Secret Service, they look at what they call behavioral threat assessment or what is called behavioral threat assessment. They look at it as is as a powerful tool that they use to protect elected officials. They look at it as every bit as effective as all of the other countermeasures uh, that they have. And you think about protecting the president, there's a lot that goes into protecting the president. This, in their view, is their most powerful tool. And as this report says, uh, quote, it should be noted clearly in any school threat assessment policy that the primary objective of a student threat assessment is not to administer discipline or to introduce students into the criminal justice system. Uh, they say, well, those responses may be necessary at times, especially in situations involving explicit threats, violence or weapons. The primary objective of a student threat assessment should be providing a student with help in working to ensure positive outcomes for the student in the community. So this does not involve uh, just, uh, you know, slapping handcuffs on anybody that uh, we might uh, feel is exhibiting concerning behavior or or acting strangely. Yeah, in fact, if it's gotten to that point, um, it's too late, in my view. Uh, You know, a lot of a lot of these um, a lot of kids struggling, right? Uh, 2020 Mm -hmm. was quite a year. A lot of students out of school, a lot of students in situations of distress, uh, perhaps a family member, um, you know, suffering with mental illness or perhaps mom or dad or both lost their jobs or maybe they've had to leave home. I mean, 2020 was a disaster, as we all know. And those are stressors. And those are those are what, you know, we call home life factors. And those those can generate uh, real uh, um, issues for these students that they don't know how or these kids when we're talking about school attacks and they don't know how to how to resolve them. But somebody a friend, a neighbor, somebody at church, perhaps a teacher when we get back to school may see these uh, concerning behaviors, let's call them that, and and can report those. And and when we do that, we can engage resources. Sometimes that's law enforcement, but that's not the goal, as you said, Cam. The goal is to get in early. If we get in early, we can figure out how to mitigate the stressors that these potential attackers or potential uh, you know that these students are under and we can bring uh, resolution to those and you know sometimes it can be even more explicit than uh, just looking at these stressors I mean one of the the, the big eye-opening stats in this report uh, is 94 percent of individuals that the Secret Service looked at in terms of those who were planning these attacks and those who carried out the 
air attacks, 94% of them had talked about their plans, either to a friend or to a family member, or they had said something online, but they had communicated clearly what their intentions were beforehand. Yeah, and that's true of this latest report, which looks at attacks that were stopped or prevented, averted school attacks. We see similar numbers in those that were, that were um, gosh, I hate to use this term, successful, right? Um, those t- attacks that were carried out. Yeah. Going back to Parkland, the killer made his intentions known. He posted on YouTube. Um, people around him had called the FBI and, and warned. Neighbors had reported him to law enforcement, and certainly the school district was aware. The problem was that none of them were communicating with each other. And, and that's really, you know, the great news, the, the thing that we should all take hope from is that stat, that 94%. That means these attackers are telling somebody about their ideas and hopefully uh, they do that before they go into the planning phase but they are telling somebody that means we have an opportunity to intervene before the attack happens and that's great news i you know i want to talk about some of those those commonalities uh beyond the the explicit communication uh that we see in some of these cases and and one of the commonalities uh, unfortunately is there is a, 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 a an intense interest in other previous attacks, particularly the the Columbine attack in 1999. Ryan, there's been this over the last few years, almost this subculture uh, that that glorifies the Columbine attack. You've got, as sick as it sounds, you've got fans of the killers in Columbine. I've seen people with tattoos uh, of, of these individuals. And and that is a, a common factor here in those that are planning these types of attacks, whether it's Columbine. In some cases, the Secret Service said it was uh, looking at even the Oklahoma City bombing. Uh, but there is an intense interest, not just you know a, a curiosity, but an intense interest uh, in these types of previous attacks and a desire to either emulate them or even expand on them yeah it's really disturbing that um it's really disturbing that that those attacks um inspire i guess is the right word Mm -hmm. um some of these kids to to emulate what they saw that day or to try to to try to do better to try to be more lethal um, than the Columbine attacks. You know, the, the person that uh, has studied this uh, in as much detail as uh, I think anybody on the planet is a, a, a good friend of mine, Dr. Peter Langman. He uh, has a website called schoolshooter.info. He's, he's interviewed some of these attackers. He's um, looked at their motivations. He's looked at the scenarios he's looked at um what motivated them probably in more detail than anyone else and you know he's discovered that yeah there's this this uh copycat effect and unfortunately um the columbine attack 
you know, happened at a time. This was a shock to the nation, as we uh, as we all know, those of us that were around at that time, we know that what what a shock that was. And I don't think the media knew how to how to handle the uh, how to cover it effectively. And unfortunately, I think a lot of the coverage glorified it in uh, inadvertently. But in the minds of uh, a lot of kids, you know, that attack is something to aspire to. And uh, unfortunately, it still is inspiring uh, potential attackers today. Absolutely. And, you know, listen, I think the media, um, as you say, some of this was intentional, but I think the media has done a, uh, a pretty wretched job. Uh, in how they cover not just these types of, of school shootings, but you, I, you know, I think back to the Rolling Stone cover of the Boston Marathon bomber, uh, and you know the, the 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 sort of soft focus pose that made him look like a member of a boy band, uh, and he was you know slapped on the cover of Rolling Stone. Um, that whether whether you want to admit it or not, you know that is I think a glorification of somebody who was intent on taking as many innocent lives as possible. I'm sure that wasn't the intent of the Rolling Stone editors, but I do believe that that was the result of of what happened by uh, putting his picture on the cover of Rolling Stone the way that they did. Uh, listen, we need to take a, another quick time out, but when we come back, I want to get more specific about some of these factors what folks should be looking for uh and and again what we can do when we recognize these warning signs we're talking with ryan petty about how to prevent these types of active assailant attacks without putting any new gun control laws on the books without violating anybody's civil rights the answer is far simpler than we might think and we're going to get more into this right after a quick break here on tony Katz today Welcome back to Tony Katz Today. My name is Cam Edwards, sitting in for Mr. Tony Katz. We've been talking with Ryan Petty throughout the hour about ways to stop targeted school attacks without putting new gun control laws in the books, which are an ineffective way of trying to prevent these uh, these attacks from taking place. Uh, and the Secret Service report that was just released earlier this week does note that many school attack plots were associated with certain dates, particularly in the month of April. Uh, so I think this is a, a really good time to talk about uh, these strategies to prevent these types of attacks. And Ryan, you know, one of the things that I, I want to get to, you talk about some of these uh, these commonalities here, whether it's, you know, depression, whether it's these stressors at home, uh, parents who, uh, you know, may be incarcerated or there may be signs of physical or emotional abuse. We know that these types of attacks are rare. Not every student who exhibits these uh, types of behaviors or even has these stressors in their life. Uh, in fact, the vast majority of these individuals are not going to try to uh, uh, target their fellow classmates or. Or, you know, uh, uh, try to engage in their murderous impulses. Most of them won't have murderous impulses. So how do we determine, okay, wh- wh- who's a threat and, and who is somebody who we, we need to reach out and help? And does it, does it even matter at that point? Or should we just be casting a wide net and trying to help those who need it, knowing that we will also be able to prevent these types of attacks from taking place by doing so? Well, you mentioned Cam, uh, you know, casting a wide net, and I think I think we want to avoid that. I, you know, mm-hmm. resources are limited uh, across the board. Law enforcement, uh, schools, everybody's operating on on uh, a finite number of resources. So we can't cast a, a wide net. What we need to do is is be able to find those uh, 
students that are struggling in the case of school attacks, right? Um, in the case of public space attacks, uh, we need to find those individuals that are struggling. So, so the process is, you know, when you see something, you say something. We've heard that for years. That's critical. That's, that's vital. Something, you know, we know as a human being, we, we can tell when something's not when something's not right. Now, we may not know exactly what it is, and we may not know how to help, but that's where behavioral threat assessment teams come into play. And those behavioral threat assessment teams are multidisciplinary. They have the resources and skill sets to be able to evaluate what's going on in that person's life and apply the appropriate level of resources to, to resolve the issue. So that's really the beauty of this is there's a team of experts that can figure this stuff out. And in a school setting, that typically is school teachers. Uh, that would be counselors. There could be some school administrators involved in that. And usually a school resource officer is a part of that uh, uh, part of that team. So they'll look at the overall context of the situation. And that's really what's so important, the context, because we don't want to cast that wide net. And we don't want to we don't want to uh, label kids that that aren't you know, headed down a pathway to violence uh, as, you know, violent students that need to be, we need to be afraid of. That's not the goal of uh, threat assessment and that doesn't do anybody any good. So these teams really have the expertise to figure out what's going on and then apply the appropriate level of resources. Okay. But again, they, they need to be aware uh, and that ultimately comes back to us. I mean, one of the things, that, and not even us, but our kids as well, because one of the things that the Secret Service report focuses on is the fact that it's often students who are in the best position to recognize these types of uh, uh, behaviors or, or these types of stressors uh, and, and then be the ones to actually communicate to school officials. Okay, hey, I think there's, there might be a problem here. That's right. The students are in the best position. Um, sometimes it's because the uh, the student that's under stress is confiding that in, in a friend or they'll just notice something's not right. So, yeah, students are in a good position. But what the students need to do is report that to a teacher, to a counselor, to administrator, to the school resource officer and let that team then take take it from there they see something say something and then hopefully the adults will do something about it right how frustrated are you that this report has not received a lot of media attention i mean uh i, I had you on uh, cam and company earlier this week cbs news ran a report but you know it seems to me like this is something that the media should be talking more about instead of uh, you know, uh, spending countless hours uh, promoting the idea of gun control, promoting the idea of universal background checks, or why can't we ban these guns? Why, why are the media not more interested in, in what the Secret Service has to say in these more proactive approaches to preventing these types of attacks? Well, I, I think it boils down to, unfortunately, the incentives. And a lot of those incentives are uh, financially related, right? So for politicians wanting to raise money, jumping up and saying you're for gun control is a great way to raise money. I think for media outlets that are trying to get, uh, you know, clicks on uh, stories, putting some headline about uh, some new gun control measure gets people to click on it. Uh, folks that are for it and folks that are against it, right? So there's mm -hmm. a financial, I think, incentive to do that. 
And we see that time and time again. And as I mentioned at the at the outset of the uh, the conversation today, that was my frustration because I saw us going down this path again. I I think the answer is right in front of us. Uh, I, I said this before when when President Biden introduced his latest round of gun control measures, right, and universal background checks. I said, you know, the Parkland killer passed a background check, so that didn't stop it. So I don't think the answer is background checks. Um, The answer is actually standing right in front of our president. He's surrounded by Secret Service agents. I wish he'd take the time to ask them about this report and what they know about protecting him and how that could be applied to our schools. I'm not – I don't know that he'll do that, but the answer is literally standing in front of him. Ryan Petty, listen, my friend, we are almost out of time, but I, I cannot thank you enough for uh, for joining us here on Tony Cast today for talking uh, about this new report in great detail. Um, you can find this report online, by the way, uh, if you go to the uh, Secret Service website, National Threat Assessment Center. Uh, and Ryan Petty, thank you for everything that you do, sir. Cam, thank you for having me. Uh, it is uh, it is good talk with you. Ryan Petty join us here on Tony Katz today. Uh, there may be a financial incentive for the media to focus on the killers, but there is a moral incentive for all of us to focus on preventing these types of attacks. Stick around. Hour two of Tony Katz today is coming up. We'll be back right after this.